0: welcome to the king's table a podcast out of king's hill church in boston where we seek to elevate the bible over opinion answering the questions you have i'm your host jonathan mosley joining us on the podcast today is hillary ferrer founder of mama bear apologetics and today we're coming alongside moms who want to spiritually raise their kids to engage culture with a gospel perspective enjoy well hillary thanks so much for coming on the podcast today
1: Absolutely glad to be here,
0: hey. I, I'd love to hear from you just a little bit about your story and this organization that you founded, Mama Bear Apologetics. Could you let us in on that story and how that got started?
1: Yeah. so just apologetics has always mattered to me because I attribute uh, a couple of series that my pastor did from the pulpit when I was twelve as being the thing that really solidified uh, solidified my faith. He went through the evidences for the resurrection. The evidences for the reliability of New Testament documents, and then just who was Jesus? You know, the the C.S. Lewis trilemma liar, Lord, lunatic, and of course now we have a fourth L turned in there, the legend. Some people say it's just a legend. Um, so apologetics has always been important to me for that reason, and uh, I kind of just got out of doing it for a while until I met my husband, who is an apologist. He got his uh, his um, MDiv and PhD in philosophy of religion and apologetics and so I was kind of always expecting just to be the the, the little woman that was going around with him <laughs> on his speaking engagements and stuff but um, there was a woman in a, in a Bible study class at my parents church that we were asked to come in to kind of help out that they were talking about apologetics and I have her story at the the beginning of our podcasts, um, some of the very first podcasts we did, and I have her story in the beginning of the first Mama Bear Apologetics book, where she uh, she was not an intellectual. She I, I can't remember if she went to college or not. Um, she might have, but I mean, she was a fitness instructor. She um, sent her kids through Awana. She was very in uh, invested in Sunday school. She taught Sunday schools. I mean, just all the things, and you know, brought her. To- children up the best that she knew how. Uh, And even in college, one of her sons rededicated his life to to the Lord. But Mm -hmm. outside of college, the very first boss he had told him that Jesus was Santa Claus for adults. And there was something Mm -hmm. about that concept that just switched in his mind and he came home and said, I don't believe in God anymore. And so all of a sudden she started diving into the deep end. She started getting into the philosophy, the worldview, the apologetics, all the things. And I thought that's an instinct right there. This is a woman who would never do this for herself. This wasn't her problem that she needed to solve, but Mm. she saw her child being threatened. And she, it was like, I was like, that's a mama bear. And so Mm. from then on, I had this concept of mama bear apologetics just kind of going through my head. And there was a a series of uh, nights where I just couldn't sleep and I was just writing down all these ideas. And at the end I thought, okay, Lord, who do you want me to pass this on to? This is clearly (laughs) you're commissioning somebody for who, for this, who is it? Who am I supposed to give this to? And I felt the Lord saying it was, it was me that I was supposed to do it, which for some people know, I don't have children and my health is, in kind of precarious enough to where children is not a wise decision for for us, um, uh, just for health reasons. But um yeah, but the Lord kind of instilled in me that I have some something that moms don't have, which is time to research. Mm-hmm. So um at that point I also was made aware from a friend of mine that there was An entire demographic of women who would not read something unless it was written by a woman for a woman. Mm. And at that moment, even though I'd never been involved in women's ministry, I'd never been one of the girly girls growing up, um, never been one of the ones that cried at movies or cooed over babies. I got obsessed with equipping moms to equip Mm. their kids. Uh, and uh, and I still am just, um, you know, some people really obsess over youth apologetics, and I guess I am tangentially. I always thought that I would do some kind of youth apologetics, but kind of youth apologetics I do is equipping the mom, Mm -hmm. uh, because she is the one who gets all the questions first, and so if if I have equipped a whole army of mama bears, then I've been the best mom that I can be.
0: Yeah, wow. I love that, Hillary. If you could talk to me about the ROAR method that you use? I I came across this. I, I really like it. And it's really to help kids fight wrong cultural ideas. If you could just talk to me a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, the ROAR method, it sounds all aggressive, but it's not. The purpose of the ROAR method is to actually learn how to engage in conversations in a way that is, uh, I like to say, extends the aroma of Christ, not the stench of (laughs) (laughs) self-righteousness. Where a lot of people have this idea that it's like, it's very apologetics is very combative. And I I don't think that that's number one, the way it has to be. And number two, I don't, if, even if it were, that's not the way moms and women would prefer to do it. Um, So the ROAR method stands for recognize the message, offer discernment argue for a healthier approach, and reinforce these ideas through discussion, discipleship, and prayer. Uh, So the first one, recognize the message. Uh, I have a phrase in the second book that I repeat over and over and over again, that I say, you can't refute that which you don't understand. And Mm -hmm. so recognizing the message is just understanding what is actually being said. What is the argument that's being set forth? Because sometimes it's really buried in a lot of rhetoric where you can't quite tell what they're trying to say. So you're trying to figure out what is the claim that they are making. And so this is kind of the the non-judgmental, we are just collecting the facts here for recognizing the message. And then offering discernment. A lot of times people think discernment means you go out and you pick the hole, you know, poke holes in everything you possibly can. And I just have to say that's, that's not really... <laughs> uh a winsome way to go about things that uh we really firmly believe at mama bear apologetics that the most potent lies are wrapped in a majority of truth mm. and so what we have to do is we have to teach um ourselves and then we have to teach our kids how to look for the lies that are wrapped in the truth. So what we do first though is we affirm the truth. Mm. We say what is this person's motivation? What problem Are they seeing that needs to be solved? Um, What, uh, you know, what, what good things can we affirm and we can say, hey, I stand arm in arm with you on this, I see this problem, I see your heart, I see all this, and just affirm everything that we can affirm and even say, you know, I see how this might work in X, Y, and Z situations. And this is a great solution for X, Y, and Z situations. But Then we're going to say, okay, where have the lies snuck in? Say, even though I affirm all this, uh, I'm kind of curious about, and then you can start identifying what are the lies that have snuck in. Um, so that is going to be what true discernment is. It's, it's, uh, for those who are watching, this is something I do with all the, the mama bears that, um, they're just the parents in general at conferences. I say, you need to teach your kids that everything is like this. It's a mixture of truth and lies. It's good and bad. What we do is we separate the good from the bad. Mm. We accept the good, reject the bad. This is like a little hand thing that you can do with kids as young as four and five. Okay. What are we seeing here? What's the truth we can accept? What are the lies that are sneaking in? Okay. We're going to accept the truth and reject the lies. Um, which is what brings us to our argue for a healthier approach, whatever this truth is that we have discovered that we say, we affirm this, this is biblical. This is what this is God's heart, or this is an actual problem. Now we're going to take that part that we can affirm and say, what does the Bible say about this? Because a lot of times the Bible is going to already address whatever the situation or problem is. It's just going to address it in a different way than secular culture does. And Mm -hmm. it usually will address it in ways that enact lasting change and that actually solve problems instead of just trying to kind of throw lipstick lipstick on the pig or, or uh, just cover up the problem or solve it in a way that creates more problems the biblical way to look at it is actually going to be the most the, the way that leads to flourishing so that's what we've done we've recognized the message we've separated the good from the bad we've taken the good and say how does the bible already address this And then we use that reinforce. we're going to have discussion about this, we're going to have discipleship where we actually go out and do things um, about it. Like say that, you know, if someone's talking about, you know, how do we cure the homelessness situation, we can talk about what's a biblical response, what's a secular response. And now in order to discipleship, we say, you know what, God has called us to individually do things. So we're going to go serve at a homeless shelter this weekend or something, something along those lines. Um, and then the final thing, discussion, discipleship and prayer, mm. uh, ideological things need to be fought on an ideological in the ideological realm. I mean, you counter bad ideas with good ideas. However, there are times when you are not just dealing with an idea, you're dealing with an actual spirit of something, mm. a spirit of fear, a spirit of confusion, a spirit of narcissism, which I've seen creeping up. And so at that point, or a a hard heart or rebelliousness, at that point, we have to deal with spiritual things spiritually. And Mm -hmm. that is through, um, you know, on our knees through prayer. And so this kind of takes us through that whole process, not only of teaching kids how to think, but then how do we as parents uh, then engage with them on these truths that we've just talked through with them?
0: Yeah. Amen. And if, if it's okay, just to kind of be extremely practical, could you and the host of cultural things kind of in our day and age. Could you maybe give an example of that Roar method with a particular topic, just kind of helping moms and women kind of parse all of those, those four things out?
1: Yeah. Okay. So let's deal with one that is kind of becoming a big thing, which is transgenderism. So let's look at the messages of transgenderism. And that is saying, I feel like I was born as someone says, I think I was born in the wrong body someone says, uh, you know, my body says that I'm a girl, but I really think I'm a boy or vice versa. Um, so we have to say, or they say, I feel so uncomfortable. I'm having such anxiety, um, that I don't know what to do. We have all these things that are mixed in. We have, we have ideological issues mixed in. We have mental health issues mixed Mm -hmm. in. We have, um just practical things mixed in we have politics mixed in what's going on we have teachers now getting involved with you know hiding things from parents and this is just all the things this is a big cluster that we've got going on right now so the offering discernment someone comes to you saying um you know i think we should affirm you know your child uh has a friend that says i think we need to affirm anyone who says that they're transgender you start out with what you can affirm, wow, that person must be having such a difficult time to, you know, maybe ask them their story. What, what's been going on? How have you been feeling? Look into that anxiety. That anxiety is probably very real. Mm. It might be misidentified, but it's very real. Um, look at the pain, look at, you know, talk about their history. There's a lot of times there's a history of something that preceded this. Um, now we can start saying, okay, let's, let's talk about some of the lies that have slipped in can a boy become a girl? No, like that is written in our DNA. Our bodies tell us our sex and our gender, not what's going on in our head. Um, so we're gonna say the lie is that a boy can become a girl or that someone can be born in the wrong body. These are things that we don't believe are true. Um, or that because you have interest, because it's a girl who's interested in sports and leadership uh, that she's therefore in playing with trucks, that she's more of a boy, or if it's a boy that's interested in dance and art and music, that he's actually more of a girl. That is a lie right there. It's telling you that uh, to be a boy means being interested in trucks. Uh, sports right. and all these things—if that's what it means to be a boy—and we can say that's not what it means to be a boy. Being a boy is something that your body tells you, and you can bring your boyness, you can bring your masculinity into any kind of uh, in any any kind of discipline. I've seen some of the best um, makeup artists in the past. I have seen men who are really good at makeup artistry, or at hairdressing, um, at dance, at music, poetry, you name it. How did they bring their masculinity into that? Mm -hmm. And they're going to have a unique perspective as a male in this field, if it is predominantly women in that field. And same thing with a girl, you're going to bring something, you know, being a girl doesn't mean you like wearing pink and that you uh, play with dolls. I hated dolls. I've never liked cooking. Like, I rejected my femininity when I was young, so hard. I only shopped Mm -hmm. in the old Navy Navy boys section because I just did not want to look feminine at all. To me, feminine meant that you were irrational and emotional and I was not that. And so (laughs) I was, you know, it never occurred to me to think I was the opposite gender, but had I lived in this, you know, in this time Mm -hmm. in history, I might've. So yeah, this is not what it means to be a boy. This is not what it means to be a girl. You have all these broad spectrum ways that you can uh, be masculine and feminine. So that is where we're going we're to be talking about. These are the lies that have in, snuck in. Now we're going to argue for a healthier approach. Let's look at what the Bible says about gender. There are no gender roles specifically in terms of interests or personality. That we see. In fact, um, Amy Davison, the one that uh, was my, my co-writer on this book, she has a series of uh, five boys in the Bible that every boy needs to know, or five men in the Bible that every boy needs to know, and five women in the Bible that every girl needs to know. And these are men and women who kind of defied the stereotype. I mean, you look at mm. David. I mean, yeah, he was a manly man going off to war and stuff, but the dude cried a lot. Yeah, let's let's yeah. be honest. He cried a lot. He played a harp and he wrote music. Um, you have, uh, I think it was Jacob, you know, with Jacob and Esau, Esau was like that mmm, hunt, kill something. And Jacob was the one that was basically, he was kind of t- tied to mommy's apron strings. He loved to cook. He was the one doing the culinary stuff that did not make him any less masculine. So mm. how does the Bible address this? Well, the Bible gives us this broad range of masculinity and femininity. Mm. Isn't it good news? My child. That you can have any interests that you want and still be a girl. You can have any interests that you want and still be a boy. Isn't that good news that you don't have to have surgery on your body because you have different interests than those around you. That's great news. Mm. Um, and so then reinforce this through disciple, uh, discussion, discipleship and prayer, look for times like say, um. Well, all these things that they're they're going to be seen with drag queen story hours look at look at the men masquerading as women and say is that what it means to be a woman does a woman have to have mm. giant breasts and teased out hair and orange uh, you know, eye shadow and giant lips and, and four inch stilettos. Is that what it means to be a woman? No, no, that that's not what it means to be a woman. He, I, You know, that person is confused. And frankly, it's a little offensive <laughs> to women um, or just uh, a lot of things that they're seeing in culture. They're probably going to have friends that are that are identifying as transgender. You're going to see it in movies and music, even cartoons that are going on. Mm-hmm. Um there's all these immediate opportunities to address this, um, with them and just asking them continually, what do you think that character thinks it means to be a boy? What does that character think it means to be a girl? Cause every single time you're going to come up with, you're going to butt against gender stereotypes where they think, because I fit into this other gender stereotype and I and that other gender, and you reinforce that enough to where they realize that's a really dumb way to go about because your interests can change, um, and all the stuff people are doing with their body, that's irreversible. This is not a wise course of action. Mm. So that's how I would apply the Roar method with something that I think is practical and present right now in this culture that we're in.
0: Yeah. Uh, Thank you. Thanks for that. I I know I'll put you on the spot, but that is a really tangible, concrete example of the Roar method at work. And I think that can be applied to almost any cultural narrative. So uh, thank you for that. That's great. You know as as it comes to uh, moms, you know who who are really wanting to disciple their kids and uh, to kind of bring apologetics into mothering, what what fears or concerns have you come across for moms who who want to engage with their kids spiritually, but maybe they don't know where to start?
1: Yeah. And, and I think that probably the, one of the biggest fears is that they have to know everything and it's like if you don't know everything then you can't even start it's like it just looks like this giant you know one of those how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time although (laughs) for the record i do not recommend eating elephants Uh, (laughs) but uh, they see this giant thing and how can i even begin um to address that in my home so one of the things that we have noticed is that as we're learning things, it's, I, I always call it the, um, the lecture portion and the lab portion. So I, w- I was, I you know, I'm a science girl. So w- with all my classes, we would always have the lecture portion, the lab portion. So the lecture portion is where you get all that information. The lab portion is where you actually have to put it into use. And what I've found is that whenever I start studying something and, and I've talked to so many other women, so many other moms, that the second they start studying studying something, all of a sudden they start seeing these things where they can actually put into practice the things Mm -hmm. that they're learning. So it's like, you don't have to know about all the things, just know that God's going to be faithful that as you're learning something, he's going to bring you those opportunities to practice it. I've heard from many mama bears, (laughs) Who had bought the mama bear uh, apologetics guide to sexuality and they're like i haven't started it and all of a sudden my kid asks me then they list off some you know question they're like well i bet i guess i better start reading this because <laughs> it's like they just got that process started and the lord had said okay here we go it's time to go um so just knowing that the lord is faithful and he's going to he's going to give you opportunity to practice what you're learning um But also that it's okay to tell your kids. And in fact, I encourage you to tell your kids, wow, that's a really good question. I don't know the answer to that. And I recommend that every single mom have on her phone in the notes section, questions my kids have asked about it specifically about uh, religious stuff, because you're going to get random questions in Costco and then you're going to forget about it by the time you get home. And so if you have a list of things that they've asked and you say, you know, what, I don't know, but let's study that together. Or let me look into that. Um, As my dad always taught me, it's not about having the answers. It's knowing where to find the answers. Mm -hmm. That is where um, basically your, your biggest, um, benefit is is knowing where to find the answers. And so just kind of being familiar with with what resources are out there. Um I'm trying to now I'm I'm trying to remember the original question. No, Um, no, that's
0: great. Just kind of where where to start for for moms who want to engage spiritually.
1: Yeah, I would say start somewhere. I would say really like I know this sounds like Everybody says it's about. I really think you should start with the Mama Bear Apologetics, uh, empowering your kids to challenge cultural lies. I think the foundation from that book will it carry. It's not that you can't read the second book first, but you'll it'll make more sense when you read that first book. It's gonna take you on this anthology of how did we get where we are now. It kind of takes us on the progression of ideas, and I think it, and it's one of those things where. It's not a bunch of new information. That's one of the things that I think can be intimidating for moms is they think I'm about Mm. to dump a bunch of new information on them. But what the first mama bear book is doing is it's showing them things they have already noticed, but they didn't have the language to talk about it. That is the number one feedback I get from that book of, I had noticed all this stuff going on and I just didn't know how to talk about it. And, Mm. And now that I see it, I can't unsee it. And now I'm just addressing this with my kids left and right. They don't even have to work about, okay, how am I going to sit down and talk to my kids about this? Once your eyes are open to what's going on in culture, you have like a thousand different um, opportunities every day to talk to your kids about these topics and given the words to um, to really help build a solid Christian worldview before the world starts trying to blur it with a secular mm-hmm. worldview. Um, that, and then I would say another one, if you just really want the basics in apologetics in terms of um, the resurrection and the reliability of the New Testament documents, I would say J. Warner Wallace's Cold Case Christianity, to me, walks you through that process so well. And there's even a kid's version that they can be reading this other version along with you while you're doing the adult version. So I would say those two resources, in my opinion, are a great place to start. And it's just something that y'all can do together. I'd say the, the Jay Warner Wallace, that's going to be walking them through information more. I would say the mama bear apologetics is going to give you language to stuff that's already going on. So you're not adding something to your schedule besides just reading the book or listening to it. We it's, it's an audio form.
0: Yeah. If you could talk, talk to us a little bit about all the resources that mama bear apologetics puts out. You have, I know the podcasts and blogs on your website, You've already referenced the mama bear apologetics, empowering kids to challenge cultural lies. You also put out a, another book, mama bear apologetics, a guide to sexuality. Mm-hmm. Why, uh, not why, but maybe kind of help our listeners understand kind of why these two were birthed, you know, like what, why these two resources at this time. And, yeah. and, uh, and I think there's also workbooks that are attached mm-hmm. to those two, which I think is just awesome where they can do that. Parents can do that with the kids. If you could maybe just highlight those resources. We, I definitely want to get this. Uh, into the hands of our parents at our church. But if you could, yeah, just talk to us a little bit about those, about those resources.
1: Yeah. So mama bear apologetics, um, the the original one, empowering your kids to challenge cultural lies. We actually had a publisher reach out to us, wanting us to write a book. And so um, I, I was trying to see like what was already out there for parents. And one of the things that I noticed, there was a whole bunch of stuff where it was like specific questions and answers, which I think are absolutely phenomenal. Natasha Crane series, uh, love her stuff about talking, talking with your kids about God, talking with your kids about Jesus phenomenal series. But, um, and and even her first book, keeping your kids on God's side had goes through question, answer, question, answer. Um, what I did was I took those and I kind of compiled them and I looked into there and I said, what are the worldviews that are causing these questions? Mm -hmm. Like basically these questions aren't coming from a vacuum. How can we actually undercut those questions before those questions even come? And so that was what our goal was with for Mama Bear Apologetics, the first book, Empowering Your Kids to Challenge Cultural lies. is we were looking at the questions that were already circulating and saying, where are those coming from? Um, now, this, uh, so we have a workbook that goes along with that. And honestly, the best way to use this workbook is to get a bunch of moms and do it together. I think um, most of the resources we have are best used when you're working on it with a group that you can do lots and lots of the discussion Um Especially the sexuality book, I think, um, it is so great to not only just go through it with other moms, but purposely reach out to your kids, friends, moms, mm. so that their your kids and their kids' parents are both getting the same information. Yeah. So they're going to hear yeah. the same thing, no matter whose house they go to. Um, so yeah, we have the, we have the, the study guide for the first book. And then the second book, uh, mama bear apologetics guide to sexuality. Um, I honestly did not want to write this book. <laughs> I was literally drag kicking and screaming into writing this Mm -hmm. book um and of course i grabbed amy and said if i'm doing it you're coming with me (laughs) (laughs) um and so uh that one i think is just this every single generation kind of has their own little dumpster fire that the Mm -hmm. youth are having to deal with and this one's ours not that sexuality has ever not been a problem, but it's different right now. I mean, can we admit that it's different right now than every other generation? Uh, We never had elementary school teachers that were on board with the sexual revolution like we do now uh, that are actively teaching that. Um, And so- that one, the uh, we, instead of calling it a study guide, we called it the discipleship workbook. And the reason why is we have a lot of different activities that you can do with your kids. We did not have enough word count in the first book to really include as much as we wanted to include. And so the the discipleship workbook is both that study guide for moms as they're doing this with other moms, but then it gives them activities to do with their kids to really, um, that are like anal- analogies for the concepts that we're bringing across um excuse me um for example um the concept of we, we one of our big points in the sexuality book is that sex is a married couple repeating their va- their marital vows in bodily form mm. so what this is is if you want to break this down sex is basically reaffirming and repeating in bodily form, a promise you've already made. So how can we get this across to kids? Well, let's, let's find something, some promise that we can make to our kids. Either it could be something long lasting of like, I will always be here for you, Or it could be something like, uh, you know, on your 10th 10th birthday, we're going to get you a 10 speed. That was like a 10 speed bike. That was our family's thing. When you turn 10, you get a 10 speed bike. (laughs) I mean, make sure it's something that you can follow through on because that would be a really bad idea to like promise like Disney World. And then you get there Uh, and realize, oh, we're out of a job. We can't do that. And I've been like promising this for 10 years.
0: And and you can't really repeat that, right? It's probably.
1: (laughs) Well, no, see, this is the thing is you're going to create a secret handshake that is gonna be repeating that promise. Mm-hmm. So every time I give you this Love handshake, that. that's that reminder that I will always be there for you. Or, mm-hmm. um, you know, little elbow thing. Oh, can't you wait till you're this age? You know, when you're 13, we'll let you get your ears pierced. I don't know what it is. Something, there's a promise that you're making and then you're putting something physical into repeating mm-hmm. that promise um, to Love them that. so that they have this category in their minds. And then later when you talk about, well, sex, is a married couple with a bodily recitation of their marital vows Mm. that makes sense to them because they've already had a bodily recitation of a vow or promise that they've done with mom and dad in the past. That's completely not sexual. Mm. Um, so this is the kind of example of just little tidbits that we give in the discipleship workbook, walking through, um, the difference between the different kinds of marriage and, you know, all the things that we would have loved to have had all the details in the, in the book but we were limited by word count. It just is kind of some reinforcing. That's why it's called the Discipleship Workbook. Um, so we have those, which I, I highly recommend. Um, we've got blogs where we're just trying to see what's going on in culture and start addressing some of those. We just <laughs> had a, a big blow up brouhaha that like uh, crashed our, our server, or not our server, but the the actual article itself crashed, I mean like 20 times um but it was on the enneagram the origins of the enneagram Mm. and going through all the enneagram stuff um we're going to have some coming out on the if gathering um we have just other questions that maybe from the past that kids might ask about who made god or why did god create the tree in the first place and so just um lots of resources there our podcast started out um, as kind of me and another person kind of teaching through different things uh, since, since having kind of a major surgery about a year and a half ago, I've had to step away from that, but Amy, our mama bear has been doing amazing with the podcast with really mm. practical interviews with different people uh, on topics that'll help you in your parenting. Um, we have the audio apologetics blog, which is basically um, taking different uh, articles that we think are valuable and reading them. Cause sometimes you don't have time to sit down and read um you know the the basically i think in the original on our original website it was it was all the audio resources and it said be honest you're on the you're reading this from the toilet aren't you because sometimes that's (laughs) like the only place moms have that's like (laughs) their own and even that isn't a guarantee um so yeah and then we have just churches invite us so i want people to hear this everybody's asking well can you plan an event here can you plan an event there whenever they see that we have an event coming we don't purposely go well, I mean we purposely go but we don't say hey I want to go to this place let's make that happen those churches reach out to us saying we would mm-hmm. love to have you come speak so if you want to have a mama bear coming to your area make sure that you talk to your church and say we want to have this speaker we want to have mama bear apologetics and mm-hmm. have them reach out to us cuz that's how we end up doing the conferences is it's totally like the, the church is putting it on and, and we come and we speak so uh, those are that that's that's what we offer right there
0: i love that i love that i uh i'm still processing and, and thinking about that um that secret handshake the reinforce of mm-hmm. promise we that could have been so helpful even for us a couple months ago we had promised our girls we we have three girls one on the way and uh and we had promised them once they kind of go through a ring of bible cards i think there was like mm. 30 something that we would take them to the the great wolf lodge oh so so we spent a few months working on those verses we finally went to the great wolf lodge but that would have been good just uh to kind of reinforce so that's mm-hmm. going to be uh, that's, that's something that me and my wife can actually be talking about for the future. Uh, you could have something
1: that. where it's like, whenever you're talking about that, you have a certain thing that you do. Yeah. Remember when we promised this and we did this? Yeah, that was great. And then you do your little handshake. So you yeah. can still do it.
0: No, that's great. I love that. You know, I, also, I wanted to ask you for, for moms who are just in the daily grind, whether that be a stay at home or in the workforce, how might you counsel and encourage them that apologetics is something that they can do for their kids? We kind of, we encourage moms, Hey, think, think intersection, not addition. so not, maybe, not adding apologetics into mm-hmm. their life, but think about intersecting, like just all sorts of teachable moments when grocery shopping, cooking, preparing dinner, dropping off the kids. So think intersections, but how would you counsel and encourage that? No, apologetics is something that they can do.
1: Yep. Well, first off, I want to say a lot of the things that we address in both of our books are things your kids are already noticing. Mm. So if you're not addressing this with them, somebody is. Um the the most that you're gonna to have to do with this is educate yourself. I would say for the most part, it's it maybe the the spot that people get hung up on is having to educate themselves before they can begin talking about it with their kids because they see it as being having to have this big long speech and curriculum and stuff that they have to do with them. But really it's about just taking the blinders off and interacting with what's already around you because your kids don't have their blinders on. And so I would say that you have so many talking opportunities out in culture already that you're missing, um, that it doesn't take adding something more. It just takes re, uh, interacting with what you're seeing mm. and we went round and round and round the for, for the first book about the subtitle, because I had the subtitle I was kind of committed to, but they just, uh, it was like, um, I can't remember. But when we find it and ended up on the one that said, empowering your kids, I feel like that has been the word that is hmm. descriptive of both of these, that I think women are afraid they're going to feel beat down, that they can't do as much as they want to. But the overwhelming feedback that I get from women is how empowered they feel to finally address this Mm -hmm. with their children. So I think if you're just worried that you're going to feel beat down, don't be worried about, think this is something of of releasing a a weight off your back. And you, you can take those blinders off Mm -hmm. and you can interact with culture. You can do it, mom. You you are absolutely capable of doing this and all you have to do is be one step ahead of your kids. And that shouldn't be, you know, sometimes that seems like a bit uh, pretty hard, but you know, in, in a lot of ways, like as a, as a teacher, a lot of times I knew I just have to be one day ahead of the kids that I was teaching. Um, so I just, I just want to encourage them that they can do it, that it's all around them. They don't have to add anything. They just have to kind of awaken themselves up to what's already around them. And second would be start cultivating sacred space.
0: Mm.
1: And when I say that, I mean, we we are so addicted to our smartphones that we need to say, you know what, dinner time is the time all technology goes away. We have a bucket over here, everybody turns it off and puts it in the bucket, and this is sacred family time. Mm. Um, another time would be, like, I know you can't do this every time you're driving, but coming home from a movie especially if you have little kids who have no idea how to get from a to b and they have no idea mm. how long it takes for to get from a to b um make that sacred time as you're coming home from a movie this is when you talk about what you just saw anytime you see something that needs to be talked about a lot of times people will just kind of ride along in the car without paying attention to where they're going treat car mm. time as a sacred space in the sense that uh, especially with boys, but you don't have to have that eyeball to eyeball conversation, especially when it comes to tough topics. That's hard sometimes for kids, uh, and especially for boys. You can have whatever reaction in your face that you need to <laughs> without <laughs> them seeing it, which is always a good thing. Um, so yeah, just carving out these sacred times, maybe it's mm-hmm. also put, when you put them to bed, um, and talking about what are you thankful for today? This is something my husband and I have done. and we found that just a whole host of anxieties, are kind of cultivated by not having gratitude and, um, and just cultivating that spirit of gratitude actually is something that permeates the entire person. Mm. Um, all of these are things that are easy to add into your schedule because it's things that you're already doing. Um, it's just making time to say, this is when we're going to be still.
0: Yeah, that's great. That's great. Well, Hillary, one, maybe one more question for you. And it's more personal, you know, I know we're all lifelong learners and <laughs> what's, uh, what's an area of study that you've been, uh, diving into recently and what, what insights has that given you?
1: Ah, uh, good question. Okay. Let me think. So I've got, I've got one spiritual one, one like, well, it's, it's, well, we'll, we'll say I've got my Bible topic and then I have my other topics that sure, I go into, sure. which are usually different than others. Um, So within progressive Christianity, there's just this rising movement of people who say I reject anything that wasn't said by Jesus himself. And so I've been really going back and it seems like repentance for some reason isn't in the cards (laughs) was not apparently very important to Jesus. So I've been going back and I want to go through the gospels multiple times to see Mm -hmm. um, all the times when, when repentance is uh, kind of at the forefront of the ministry that he has, like what, you know, what are the commands of Jesus? Because I think we get a lot of theology in the, uh, Pauline epistles because, um, he's dealing with people who weren't already Jewish. So when you're dealing with a Jewish population, you're dealing with people who already know, or have some concept of the law and the Torah and the, the commandments of Moses and all these things. That Jesus didn't really need to reinforce, but once you see with Paul when he starts getting into the the, the pagan civilizations, you kind of have to start at you know the very beginning. Yeah. Um, so just kind of comparing those, and then I would say in my practical time, I think I've even got it right here, and this is where everybody's going to laugh at me. So I saw, I saw an article on this over Christmas. And I thought it was so amazing that I was like, I need that book. So I ordered the book and my dad immediately, because I was with my parents at the time, started reading the book and I was like, okay, I need to buy another one. So I bought another one and it is the psychology of totalitarianism.
0: Oh, it's great. Great. I'm sure a light read. Yes. (laughs) Oh, yes. It's
1: very enlightening. I would say kind of two of our big things that we're seeing coming in our culture, what number one is going to be revolving around just the sexual revolution and changing the definitions of male and female in marriage. Um, but the second one is the encroaching upon um, what you're allowed to say and this is absolutely a church topic because this what um, what rod dreher talks about in his book live not by lies is there's a soft totalitarianism where we don't have the police coming after you and beat you up for doing stuff but we do have cancel culture but cancel culture turns into other types of totalitarianism which we're we're already seeing going on in canada so this is just kind of talking about the psychology behind that and it's fascinating a little terrifying but it's one of those things where i know that most of my mama bears aren't going to go out and purposely read a totally black book called the psychology of totalitarianism yeah. <laughs> um, but if there's ways that i can say these are some ways to disciple your kids or to resist what is coming because it's going to be coming for the religious freedoms then i would say that that's still time well spent
0: yeah yeah that's great that's great Well, Hillary, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today and being so helpful for moms, whoever is listening. Thank you again.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Well, thanks for joining us at the King's Table today. Hope you enjoyed the discussion around raising kids in such a way where we can give them a gospel perspective to combat the cultural lies. If you'd like more information about Hill Church, you can visit us online at www.kingshillboston.com.